morning. Welcome to everyone that's joining here in person, and welcome to those that are joining online. My name is Ben. I am the student director here, and I get to share from God's Word with you today, and I'm excited about that. I want to remind you real quickly, I mean, Josh just shared it, but I want to draw your attention to the fact that tonight is a special night called Influencers Night. It's a special gathering where whether you're a member, uh, a regular attender, or you're just visiting, uh, this is a once-a-year meeting. You can come back here at 4 o'clock and hear about how God has been working in amazing ways here at this church and how we hope he will continue to work, how we trust that he will continue to work in the, the year and years to come. So whether that's in person or online, you can tune in online and join us for that, ask questions. Uh, we'd love for you to participate in that. It's actually quite appropriate today that that, that meeting is taking place because today's topic is all about what we expect and anticipation. So you could come to that meeting tonight and find out what we're expecting God to do here at Shepherd's Gate in the year to come. Uh, and today, as we dig into God's word, we're going to be looking at what we can expect as Christians. You see, there's, there's a book out there. Many of you, actually, uh, probably a majority of you, especially families, you have this book. This book has been sold millions of times, millions and millions of copies in different translations over years here in this country and elsewhere. And it is a book that people turn to when they're walking through a season of like uncharted territory, brand new to them. It could also be a book for them if they're walking into something that maybe they had done before, but you know, they had forgotten how to, how to navigate that season of their life. This book is filled with wisdom and insight. It's helpful for those that don't yet know what to do or maybe have forgotten what to do. It's what they can do to expect this change that's about to come. Does anybody know, either online or in person, what, what this book might be? What to expect when you're expecting. 93% of uh, expectant mothers who buy a book will buy this book. And they buy this book, right, for the very reasons I just stated. So you have a new bundle of joy that's on the way, uh, or you're trying to conceive. I mean, this is like, this is the book, this is the resource that's out there that when you're expecting your family to grow, that you're going to turn to this because it has wisdom and insight, and it can point you to the fact that things are going to change. What should you expect? What should you anticipate? And no, this isn't some sort of announcement or anything like that, but, uh, <laughs> but rather, we're not gonna, we're gonna look, uh, go and look into our book, the Bible, like you all just guessed, uh, to look at what we should anticipate as Christians. So if you would, if you wanna grab a Bible here in the chair back in front of you, that's gonna be on page 1016. We're gonna be continuing to move forward in the book of 1 Peter, hanging out in chapter four, just in seven different verses. Uh, verse 12 all the way through verse 19. We're going to jump around a little bit, but that's where we're going to hang out for most of the time. And this is, I'm just going to go ahead and pale, pull the veil back and let you know right now. This is the point. The point of today is expect it. Can you guys go ahead and say that? Expect it. That's it. And we're going to see what it is that Peter is telling us now 2,000 years later, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, what we are to expect. And if you're, if you're not a Christian or you're exploring the faith today, you're going to see that this is a, He's not pulling any punches. He's letting us know what it is that we as followers of Jesus are to expect. So if you're there, we're going to go ahead and start in verse 12. Peter starts off this way. In this new section, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. This, this verse is full. And so you can already see. Expect, expect difficulty. Expect suffering. Expect hardship. He starts off this way, though, which I appreciate. He, he's acknowledging the relationship, and he's acknowledging an affection towards them. Beloved, not only does Peter extend his love towards them, 
But he's saying, God loves you, and let me be, I'm going to love you enough to tell you what's about to happen, what you're probably already experiencing. And that's what we're doing here today, and that's why I love each and every one of you enough to tell you that by becoming a follower of Jesus, by saying that he's my Lord and Savior, saying I am a Christian, I love you enough to tell you your life isn't going to get easier. And in some regards, your life will actually get harder. Because now you're no longer in the world or of the world. You're, you're an alien and you're a stranger and, and the world doesn't like the light. The darkness doesn't like the light. And so if you have the light of Christ in you, it's going to be hard. There's going to be suffering. And we're real enough here to tell you that that's to be true because that's what God's word says. So don't be surprised. Expect it. Expect that there are fiery trials that are going to come your way and that are going to test you. Now if we look at the context here, Peter's writing to the early church. And this would have followed just, just a few years right after Nero, the leader of Rome at the time, had set fire to his own city and then pointed the finger at Christians and said that they had done it. So that, there could be a reference in the fact that there's fire to that. The, the, the fact is also that Nero hated Christians. He would roll them in, uh, in pitch and light them on fire and use them for his uh, community garden parties. So Christians in that first century, that's who he's speaking to. He's saying, church, you know this to be true. Don't be surprised that this is happening. This is happening, and it might be taking you back. Why is this all going on? Well, the, the fiery trial is going to come your way. The, the fact of the matter is, those might play into that language a little bit, but we don't know for sure. And it's broad and big enough that now we can look at it now 2,000 years later and go, I might be walking through a fiery trial. I might be walking through a difficult season. And yet there's purpose behind it. It says the fiery trial that is going to come to test you. It's going to come and challenge you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to test you as a Christian. And if I was to ask you this question this morning, what has put your, your faith to the test? I imagine if I went around, everyone here would have some situation or some circumstance, be it now or in the past or maybe even potentially something you're anticipating, that would challenge your faith, that would actually test your faith and it would either show that your faith is strong or it might show some cracks in your armor. That you don't have a perfect faith because none of us do. And if we look earlier in the book of 1 Peter, and you don't have to jump there, I did for you. Uh, in, in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, Peter says this, Though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, a variety of different trials, whatever it may be, unique to the different individuals, a variety of different trials, of various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, and there's the fire, <laughs> may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Now this testing's gonna come, he already mentioned it in the, very in the opening of the book to everyone saying, you are suffering trials. You are suffering trials. You are suffering in this world because we know this to be true. The world is sinful, and it's broken, and it's not perfect, and we suffer on this side of eternity. And in, in particular, as a Christian, as we suffer, there's a usefulness to it. It's not suffering for suffering's sake, but rather it's suffering so that you may have a, a genuine faith. God's not testing you to, to see how good your faith is, but he's actually allowing, potentially, trials and suffering in your life so that your life, may, your faith might become more pure. Very simply, gold or silver, as it's refined, as it's heated up, what happens is the impurities will rise to the top. That stuff's called dross, and it's pushed aside. 
And so as suffering happens in our life, there's this unique opportunity. As you may very well know, when you walk through a season of suffering, doesn't it reprioritize everything? Doesn't what's really valuable all of a sudden become crystal clear and all the other stuff of our life that we worry about and concern ourselves with, it falls by the wayside. And over the course of the last two years, we've collectively, as a society, have faced some suffering, haven't we? Yeah. And if you were to look at your own life this morning, if I'm to look at my own life and ask this question seriously and have some introspection, how has the quality of my faith, how has the quality of your faith changed over the last two years? As the fire has gotten hotter, as things have gotten more difficult, as we've all experienced things that many of us have never expected, expected a total shutdown, expected wearing masks, expected all this turmoil, and I mean, just far too much to even mention. Collectively, as a society, we've experienced that. How's your faith? Has it been proven more genuine? Because there's this unique opportunity there, and I hope and I pray that there are some here or some that are listening online that go, yes, absolutely. In the last two years, if I walked through all the things that we've all walked through, that I actually find more peace, I'm more calm, I'm more confident, I actually have a greater sense of my closeness to God because of all of this, because that's what the word says that can happen. But on the other side, we can become consumed with the idea of suffering and consumed with the worry about it and the uncertainty, and our, and our faith can actually become weaker and atrophy under that. And that is not what we, we want to happen. As Christians, we don't want that to happen, and we can have confidence as we move forward through this text that Peter's going to help us show how, how we can respond, how we should respond as Christians, because we don't respond perfectly. But he gives us this example. He says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That our response in the face of suffering and difficulty is that we actually rejoice, which is bizarre, right? If you were to think of someone who's walking through a difficult season, you wouldn't walk up to them and be like, praise God, right? Because you're going through a hardship right now. But what's key about this as we look at it is he says, for Christ's suffering. You share in Christ's suffering. So it means if you are suffering for following God's will, if you're suffering for being a believer, then you can rejoice. There's other type of suffering in this world that might not be something that we can rejoice in, but if you're suffering for your faith, that is something to rejoice in. You see, Peter, the author of this, he, he knew this full well. He knew what suffering was. He had tried, he followed Jesus. He's this bold guy who doesn't have a filter, and before Jesus' uh, death and resurrection, he's, he's actually the first one to say, Jesus, you're the Son of God, and Jesus is like, yeah, you got it right. And then in the next breath, Jesus is explaining that he's going to suffer and die, and Peter's like, no, don't do that. And Jesus rebukes him. And, and Peter also was the guy that in the garden, he was willing to fight and to battle, and he wanted to take on the Roman soldiers and cut a guy's ear off. And then moments later, as Jesus is being taken away, around a fire being asked three different times, do you know Jesus? He denies it not willing to actually pick up his cross, not willing to, to find himself on a cross next to Jesus. He didn't want to endure that suffering at that time. But then we fast forward that Jesus, he did what he had to do. He did what he came to do, fulfilling God's will, dying on the cross for each and every one of us, resurrecting, and then as he ascends into heaven, he gives us command to all his disciples that he, they would go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, that they would teach, that they would baptize, and so we see it now in Acts chapter 5, after Peter has the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's given his first major sermon, 
and all of a sudden he's doing this ministry around here, and him and the other apostles at that time, so they get called in by this council. And it says, when they called in the apostles, after doing all this ministry and causing a ruckus in the city, they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. And so what we know from Peter already, and what we might already know from ourselves, in the, in the face of doing the right thing and then having the wrong result, what do you do? You ask a three-letter question. Why? Why, God? You said go and teach. You said go and baptize. We're doing exactly what you said to do, and now the result is we're beaten with sticks. We're stoned. We're ridiculed. We're made fun of. We're insulted. We're told not to speak in your name anymore by the authorities over us right now. Why? What did we do wrong? How could this happen? Or we might even ask the question, because we have this innate sense inside of all of us of this cause and effect of like, what did I do to bring this upon myself? And that might be you. I know I've asked those questions of myself. Many of you know, but I'll just, the, the quick snapshot is in, uh, in a four-month period, I went to uh, a hospital eight different times. Once was for birth and everything else was an emergency. And traveling back and forth, taking care of the other kids and going to the hospital, do you know what question I was asking the car? Why? How? What did I do? As a church worker, as someone who knows who God is and how good he is and that he never left me, that those questions can creep into your mind. But this is how Peter, now with the gift of the Holy Spirit, how he responds in the face of being beaten for doing the right thing. Him and all the other apostles, they left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, that is, the name of Jesus, and every day in the temple. And from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that, uh, that the Christ is Jesus. That their response in that face of suffering was that they, they, they rejoiced in, in this fact. They were worthy of suffering for Jesus' name. Not because of anything that they did perfectly or right, but they were trying imperfectly to pursue what God had called them to do. God empowered them with the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they didn't, they didn't cower, and they didn't become weaker through it. That actually strengthened their faith, and then they continued to, to do the very thing that got them in trouble in the first place. And so, I'm here to tell you this morning, so expect to suffer, and then as you suffer, as, as a Christian, because there's distinct styles of suffering that we each have in our lives, as you suffer as a Christian, that it has this opportunity to purify your faith and encourage you to continue on that same path forward. And then he goes on in, in 1 Peter, back in chapter 4. It says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests on you. And this is how we can rejoice. This is the only way that you can rejoice. That if you're to expect suffering as a Christian, saying, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, now things are going to get harder, you can't do it by yourself. By your own strength or by my own strength, we're going we're gonna to cower under, or we're going to be crushed under that weight because we can't carry that same weight or the same sufferings that Jesus did. But his spirit, the spirit of glory and of God, that is to say, the Holy Spirit rests on you. That's how Peter and the apostles were able to face all the things that they faced. That's how Stephen, the very first Christian martyr, was able to preach and then to be stoned, but while he's being stoned, to actually pray for the people that are killing him. It's not because Stephen was that great. It's because God was with him. And for someone here this morning, if you're walking through a season of suffering, you need to realize this simple truth, but a profound truth. God is with you. He hasn't left you. He will never forsake you. 
And in some cases, and I can't speak to every situation, but you may not have brought whatever suffering is on upon yourself that's in your life right now. But God can still use it. He's not going to leave you. He's going to walk you through all of it. Jesus told his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, he told them that you're blessed when people insult you and they persecute you when they falsely say things against you and that you can, you can rejoice, you can be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. And in the same way, they persecute you, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you're being persecuted in your family, at work, just generally in society for your faith, not for something that's unique to you, not being persecuted because I'm simply Ben, but being persecuted because I'm Ben, the follower of Jesus, if that's the case, I should count myself lucky because I'm in company with some pretty significant figures. The prophets, I'm in company with Jesus who suffered because he did God's will, of course, God himself, but he did the right thing and he suffered tremendously and that the apostles and we ourselves as, as believers today, that we expect to suffer for believing what we believe because the world is broken and the world does not see the light the same way that we do. And moving forward, it actually tells us this because here's the other, er the other way that we can suffer or one of the other ways that we can suffer is that we can bring it upon ourselves. And it's a totally different thing. This isn't suffering for Christ's sake. This is suffering because of our brokenness or our uh, inadequacy and actions that we might take. Peter tells us, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or, isn't it interesting he included this one, or as a meddler. I mean, right, when he starts the list off, like, okay, didn't murder, check. Haven't stolen anything lately, check. Oh, there's that broad term, evildoer. Okay, that kind of is a catch-all. Okay, we all do some sort of evil. But then he intentionally includes within this list meddling, which could mean being a busybody, being a gossip, or my favorite when I was looking into this, it would be someone who tries to exercise supervision over an area they have no authority. <laughs> yeah? Does that sound about right? Right? that if you're meddling, and we have every opportunity to do that now, nowadays, right? Online, uh, we, it gives you access to get a little snapshot into different lives, in different areas, right? And we can all meddle very, very easily in a, a wide variety of different lives where we can go, hey, you should do it this way, you should do it that way, here's where you went wrong. Yet, what God is saying here is that don't, don't meddle, don't be a busybody, don't be a gossip. Don't try to supervise where you don't belong supervising. And he puts that in the same category as murderer, thief, and evildoer. And what we recognize is that any sin in general, any sin that we commit, and we all do, can bring suffering upon ourselves, and it can bring suffering upon the lives of those around us. And that's not what Peter's speaking to. Don't let yourself be one of these people who suffers in this way. And if you do, repent of it. Turn around. That's the good news, is that if you suffer in this way, God forgives you of it, and there isn't punishment for you for it. He's taken that full punishment, yet there still might be consequences on this side of eternity, but that's not what we're looking to suffer as. We want to suffer, if we're going to suffer at all, we want to suffer as Christians, not suffer as those that are sinful. So he says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name which is unique because this is actually one of three places within Scripture that we actually see that distinct name given to the followers, Christian. And actually within society at that time, it was given to Christians by Roman authorities to say, those Christians. 
it was derogatory. It was to say those followers of Christ. That it would put them in the camp of like, these, these are the lowest of the low. Those are the people that follow Jesus. Those are potentially the people that tried to burn Rome down. These are the people that meet in homes and say that they eat, bo- eat flesh and drink blood. There was so much confusion about the way or Christians at that time. Yet what Peter is saying, don't, don't be ashamed of that name. And likewise, we shouldn't be ashamed of that name today either. That wherever you're at, within your, around your own Thanksgiving table, in a couple of weeks. Don't be ashamed that you're a Christian, yet if you might have someone sitting across the table from you that thinks that you, you just don't understand the way, the way the world works, how do you believe that stuff? You believe that that's actually God's word? That Jesus loves you? You believe in a six-day creation? Our society does not see eye-to-eye with what we believe. And that we have the opportunity in that persecution to cower, or we have an opportunity to be proud Yes, that's the name that I follow. I follow Jesus. I believe this to be true. I'm not ashamed of any of this. I'm going to follow God and I'm going to glorify him. I'm going to praise him in that name because I know he's with me. These next two verses are actually uh, references to the Old Testament. This first one to the book of Ezekiel. The next one's going to be to the, uh, the book of Proverbs in chapter 11. And it talks about this broader picture. So you're experiencing this right now. Well, let's look at the broader, bigger picture. And so he says this. For the time of judgment... Uh, for it is the time of judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? That is to say, not the ultimate judgment, not Jesus returning, but this judgment kind of falling in line with the same concept we've been talking about. That there's a testing and a refining and a judgment of the genuineness of your faith. And it's happening right now. And it was happening to them then. That's happening currently. And God wants to use all the suffering that will happen in this life and will happen for being a follower of him for your benefit and for your good and for the refining of your faith. But ask the question, what happens to those who don't obey the gospel of God? What happens to those that don't believe? And then in in verse 18, from Proverbs 11, it says, and then if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? That is to say, the righteous is scarcely saved, not saying that it's not very often that the righteous are saved, but rather that we become righteous through difficult circumstances. Through those circumstances that we've been talking about, you will become righteous, and that is how we become more and more refined. But what will become of those who are ungodly or who are a sinner or the previous verse, those who won't obey God? Well, what we know to be true elsewhere in Scripture, what we believe is that those that are not going to obey God, those that don't place their trust in Him, it's not based off of their action or any merit of their own, but if they don't choose uh, to receive God's goodness and his love, they will eternally be separated from him. And so we have the option here. We can see it clear as day in this text that you will suffer. Expect it. Now, do you want to suffer on this side of eternity and have it be useful for your refining and developing a more genuine faith? Or do you want to suffer eternally separated from God? I mean, when you lay it out like that, it's a pretty simple decision. I want my suffering to be useful. I want it to be effective. I want it to make me more genuine and pure in my faith. I don't want to be separated from God. And he, he summarizes it in this last verse, which is just amazing. Therefore, pointing back to all the verses that we've gone through, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let those who suffer according to God's will. That, again, 
we pursue God, as we pursue to follow him and discern his will by the gift of his Holy Spirit that is with us and rests on us, as we learn more and more what it means to be his follower, we recognize this, expect it. You will suffer. But while we do that, that we can entrust our souls, that we can have confidence in him. And this actual term here, entrust their souls, is a banking term, which means to, to put on deposit. Put it in the bank, hopefully get some returns, some dividends off of that, That'd be great. If you can entrust your soul, and it's not necessarily tr- entrusting your soul to something that's, oh, it's, we hope it's kind of trustworthy, we hope this works out. You're entrusting your soul to, and I find this interesting, the only area in Scripture where this combination of these two words is used to describe God. Faithful creator, right next to each other. And so why in this context would Peter say faithful creator? He could have said a whole bunch of different things. There's tons of different names that refer to the same God. Well, they're walking through trials. They're walking through difficulties. What do you you need to be reminded of? What do I need to be reminded of in difficult situations? God is faithful. He is with you. He hasn't left you. He is the one that said he'll be with you. He's the one that knows you. And then next to that, creator. Recognizing that this is the God who's powerful enough to speak existence into being, who knows each and every one of you, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who's numbered your days, That's the God. The creator God is the faithful God that you and I can trust in. We can have confidence in that. So as we expect that suffering is going to come, we trust and expect that our God will be with us no matter what. And then it says, while doing good. So continue to do the good you've already been doing. Trust God. Place your hope and your trust in him. And in doing so, you're going to live differently. Because think about it. If you know the end result, the way that you act now, And the way that we live out now in the face of suffering is going to be different. Some of you may recognize this name. I don't know if anyone does. Athena, Onesis, Russell. Uh, I might be saying that wrong. That's okay. Uh, But Athena, at the age of three years old in 1988, if I'm not mistaken, uh, she went through some suffering. She went through tragedy, really. She lost her only parent, her mother, as a three-year-old. What she didn't know at that age of being three years old is that in that suffering and in that trial of losing her mother, she found herself to be the sole heir to her great-grandfather's fortune. And she lived, you know, probably for a number of years, not fully realizing that, but that, that great, immense wealth had been set aside into a trust that overseers, you know, managed until her 18th birthday. You know, if you gave a three-year-old you know, that amount of wealth, could you imagine how many Paw Patrol toys and different things that they might have? So they had to put it into a trust. But as Athena lived her life, could you imagine if you had little expenses here or there or difficult seasons? You know that something's coming. And at the age of 18, she was a recipient of somewhere estimated between 2.3 or 2.7 billion dollars. You and I are actually in a similar boat. We don't have this material wealth coming our way, but we have an immense wealth. We have an immense goodness that is coming our way, and it changes the way. When we set our eyes onto that, that goodness that's coming, it changes the way you act now. And we'll actually close with this last scripture. In 2 Corinthians, it reminds us of our sufferings in this way. It, it, It calls them for this light and momentary affliction. Sometimes when your suffering doesn't feel light or momentary, does it? in comparison with the goodness it is, this light and momentary affliction that you and I might be facing, it's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond 
all comparison. It is more good, it is more precious than any of us could imagine. And as we look not to the things that are seen, not to the, not the circumstances around you, not necessarily even the feelings that you have inside you, you don't look to those things, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. It's all going to fade away. This will all fade away. Every, every situation, every struggle, every trial that you have is temporary. But the things that are unseen and e- are eternal, those are the things that we fix our eyes to. Those are the things that we put our trust in to a faithful creator, to a God that is in control of your situation right now, a God who personally knows you, a God who loves you and actually wants to use whatever the circumstance might be, no matter how bleak or dark it is, God's not at a distance. He's still close by. He's still trustworthy. And he wants you to have that in mind so that you can stand up under whatever it may be with full confidence that he's walking alongside you and that there's still goodness to come and you won't see it necessarily on this side of eternity. There's still goodness on this side of eternity, but there's not this type of eternal goodness that we all have hope in. And that we collectively as a people and as a church, that our lives would look, I mean, dramatically different, wouldn't they? If we had this in mind every day, if we were to fix our eyes on the goodness of God and what he has in mind for each and every one of us. And that is my prayer for you this morning is that as you walk through suffering currently, or as it might be coming down the road, because we know it will, expect it. That as you expect that suffering to come in your life, that you will also expect this. You will expect a faithful God to walk alongside you, and that you will expect, ultimately, that you will be with him one day. Will you pray with me? Father God, faithful creator, I thank you for your word, and thank you for the reminder this morning that we are in this broken world to expect suffering and that we as followers of you that we should expect to suffer for your name's sake and God let us let us count ourselves lucky to be worthy to be able to suffer for you God and give us the confidence to know that you're with us through any suffering that we face that you can make those things useful and that you can make our faith more genuine and more pure. And as you do so, God, that we will stand out even more in this broken and dark world, that others might come to the saving knowledge of who your son is and what he has done. And let, our fi- let us, as believers, fix our eyes every day and in every situation on the goodness that is yet to come that we cannot fully comprehend. And let that be the anchor for our soul as we move forward in a broken world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.